The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's uh, always great to be with you, and thanks for tuning in. If this is the first time you're uh, listening, this program is, a, I think, a very unique, one-of-a-kind podcast, uh, a, an American Muslim, an American patriot, a Muslim who served 11 years in the U.S. Navy, who believes that radical Islam, theocratic Islam, is a problem that only Muslims can address, Muslims need to take responsibility for, Muslims need to own and begin the work of reform, and there's nothing better to do that than a conversation, a weekly jihad weather report, if you will, of where we are when it comes to reformation, when it comes to the need to address all of the different symptoms, but really, more importantly, the diagnoses of what we're facing for domestic and global security. My name is Zudi Jasser, and this is Reform This. Thanks for coming back. If you notice that uh, I missed my first episode last week, after uh, 60 episodes uh, without a miss, I took a long overdue week off with the family, had a good time away, tried to step away as much as possible from the phone, from the creature comforts of communication with the rest of the planet, and reset the compass with the family, with the kids, with my wife. And uh, we all need that. We need to do it more than we usually do. Uh, So I hope you all had a great fourth. My last episode, I left you with uh, sort of a conversation, if you will, on why the fourth, that day of independence, independence from the theocrats of the United Kingdom now, but uh, the Church of England was such a important template to look at how, for those who believe that Sharia is unreformable, who believe that the Islamic State is a concept that will never go away, that it can be reformed, that it can be defeated, and Muslims can rise to accept and embrace secular liberal democracy. And sure enough, in my time away, at the end of my vacation, my phone blew up with request a comment on Linda Sarsour, and I thought, oh my God, not again. What is this woman saying? Do we need to give her any more attention? And when I came back last weekend, I realized that, uh, well, you know, she, I, I believe, did this in order to get attention, but she's already a... Uh, intentional icon for the left and the identity politic has the requisite stereotypical image with the hijab and the Palestinian victim mentality and pedigree, if you will. And unfortunately, I don't believe she does any service to those American Palestinians who really want to help the image and the understanding of uh, exactly what's happening in Gaza and the West Bank uh, for the oppression from Hamas and Fatah and others who have refused to bring their own communities into the 21st century. Uh, But aside from her own Palestinian identity, she, just like the Council on American-Islamic Relations, Linda Sarsour, Sarsour, has um, decided to use her platform to like care, broadened from their Hamas roots to 
exploit the Muslim community for their own issue to demonize the West, demonize America as Islamophobic, as anti-Islam, to advance what the origins of Hamas are, which are the Muslim Brotherhood, to advance the Islamist movement in whatever way possible, non-violent and utilitarian ethic to exploit the attention of the West to jihad, Islam and everything else. And sure enough, Linda Sarsour does not disappoint at the Islamic Society of North America this week, or I'm sorry, a few, last week, she called for jihad against the president, President Trump, at the Islamic Society of North America convention in Chicago. She was a delegate, Sarsour was a delegate to the 2016 Democratic National Convention. She was a supporter of the BDS movement against Israel and opposes any bans on Sharia law. But she's also a frequent guest, surprise, surprise, with Rachel Maddow's show on MSNBC and other programs on the far left that she dishes up a good helping of the Muslim victim, of endorsements of groups like CARE, which should be listed as Foreign Agents Registration Act operatives and parts of the OIC, Organization of Islamic Cooperation Lobby, that she reads off their talking points in a very functional way that makes her appear to be the victim. She said at the convention that was what has become topic at the water coolers lately is she said at the convention, I and this was videotaped and posted and now has been disseminated as a call for jihad. She said, I hope that when we stand up to those who oppress our communities, she's talking Muslim communities, that Allah accepts from us that as a form of jihad. Now, unquote, I'll tell you the rest in a second. You think she's going to talk about Assad? You think she's going to talk about Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran, and name the Saudis or the other dictatorship and tyrants. She said, quote, that we are struggling against tyrants and rulers, not only abroad in the Middle East or in the other side of the world, but here in these United States of America where you have fascists and white supremacists and Islamophobes reigning in the White House, Sarsour said. And she goes on, our number one and top priority is to protect and defend our community. It is not not to assimilate and please any other people in authority. Our obligation is to our young people, is to our women, and to make sure our women are protected in our community. Our top priority, and even higher than all those other priorities, is to please Allah and only Allah, she declared. So wait a minute, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. She didn't name any of the tyrants and rulers, and then she equated them whoever they are, with the White House, with our president, president of the leader of the free world, who's the leader of the free world, calling them basically fascists, white supremacists, and Islamophobes. Didn't call them bigots against Muslims, Islamophobes, the term used by those governments who are fascists, the Iranian theocrats, that statement could have come directly from press TV and the Iranian propaganda machine. It could have come directly from Hamas. It could have come directly from ISIS in their nonviolent propaganda arm. Now, yes, they're violent. Is she asking for violence? No. Is she defining jihad in a nonviolent way? Absolutely. But we'll get to jihad in the next segment and what that means. But the first thing I think that's very important to delineate is that she has the gall sitting in the freest country of the world. Yes, we have our problems with our politics on both sides of the spectrum. This is not to de deny the existence of some bigotry that exists against Muslims. But if it exists, it's because of her apologetics. It's because of the domination of the, of the platforms of Muslim communities by Islamist apologists who makes Americans believe that we Muslims don't take ownership, don't take responsibility for our problems, that we Muslims are all apologists for the Islamic propaganda, for the Islamist movements, and are unwilling to connect the dots between nonviolent and violent jihad.
that we Muslims will not name the tyrants that are genocidally killing families, Arab, Muslim, Christian, across the Middle East, reformers, but yet we will name them here in the land of the free as white supremacists and others in this unbelievably offensive moral equivalency between struggles about stereotypes in America versus true absence of human rights in Saudi Arabia and Iran and Syria and Pakistan and Egypt and Qatar. That is offensive. And she called for a jihad against President Trump. A jihad. And then the hashtag started spreading by the Islamists. And then the hashtag, I stand with Linda. I march with Linda or I stand with Linda started trending. And the Islamists said, as she knew would be the response as she called for a jihad, that she's being victimized because jihad is a very noble pursuit of Muslims who love freedom, who love their country and love their faith. And actually, they didn't mention country. And before, in the beginning of her speech, she described her mentor, Siraj Wahaj, as one of the people she respected the most in Islam today. Her mentor, Siraj Wahaj, and for any of you who've read my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, you know that Siraj Wahaj was that Muslim that stood at the convention in 1995 at the Islamic Society of North America and gave the keynote opening 22 years before Linda endorsed him as her mentor. And in that keynote opening, set aside the fact that this man, also an unindicted co-conspirator in the 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center, set aside the fact that he was a character witness in the trial for the blind shake. He testified for the character of a now convicted and dead blind shake who served and then died during his term. I believe, I may be wrong on that, but I believe he passed, thankfully. That traitor, that enemy of America was defended by Siraj Wahaj. I was at that one only and only ISNA convention I ever went to was in 1995. I went in my Navy uniform. I went to present at the Islamic Medical Association. I presented a paper with... Dr. Shakir, Dr. Muhammad Shakir, the head of the endocrinology section at Bethesda Naval Hospital, he and I went to present a paper on hormone regulation at the Islamic Medical Association and the IMA always, I don't know if it still does, does now, but always met right before the Islamic Society of North America meeting. And now the ISNA meeting, I think, has 50,000 Muslims that gather. And at the time it was Indianapolis and now it's Chicago. Times they meet in Columbus and elsewhere. And I was in Indianapolis at that meeting. When we come back, I'm going to tell you what Linda Sarsour's mentor said about the U.S. Constitution. And we'll also talk about jihad. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. And we'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is... Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Dr. Sudi Jasser. 
This is Udi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's always great to be with you. And, you know, as much as I didn't want to talk about Linda Sarsour and give this activist, uh, activist, if you will, uh, a uh, more airtime, I think there's a lot educational about Reformation and what we have to address involved in the topics that um, generate conversation in America. And if she is trying to get attention, and uh, let's give it to her with an attention to the topic of jihad, to the topic of what radicalizes Muslims, and point out that it is pariahs like her who feed off of the demonization and segregation of American Muslims, who, as she said, refuse to assimilate as if assimilation means compromise of your own values. No! Assimilation can also mean the acceptance of American values as ours. The reform of Muslim values that are non-compatible with American values into what it means to be an American Muslim. So she wants to make assimilation into a bad word and declare at the meeting with cheers that she will not assimilate. And her jihad is to prevent that as she declares jihad against the President of the United States and his White House. Then let's have it. Let's have that conversation because I will, till my last breath, work to marginalize those jihadists, those civilizational jihadists like Linda Sarsour, who refuse to condemn jihad as being for the most part, a concept that radicalizes Muslims, a concept that is still predominantly about violent jihad, predominantly about violent jihad. So when she tries to say it's a moderate concept, when she tries to say that it's a struggle, yes, there's no doubt. Listen, I've said this on my program before. I have a number of friends whose first name is Jihad. These Muslims were not named by parents who think they're about war, are calling their kids holy war. No, it was about personal struggle to get closer spiritually to God, to be a better Muslim, to be a better American. That is their jihad. Jihad is a very beautiful name. But make no mistake, that definition, that definition is an apologetic. The reality of jihad today is not just ISIS. There was a piece in the uh, Dallas Morning News written by Shaheen Pasha, assistant professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, who said that the violence and mayhem perpetrated by ISIS and other terrorist groups with other Muslims clearly violate the rules of jihad and the vast majority of Muslims do not consider their evil to qualify as jihad. But that word has been tainted. So the debate, as he talks about in the piece in the Dallas Morning News, and so many apologetics come out, some saying, well, she shouldn't have raised this topic because it's just too volatile. No, we should raise the topic, but not in defense of jihad, but to attack the jihad of every Islamic state in the world. The jihad of the Iranian regime and its military of hundreds of thousands that is fighting in the tens of thousands in Syria with Hezbollah armed to arm with the Iranian Republican Guard, armed to arm with the Assadists, Alawite jihadists, armed to arm against the Sunni jihadists of ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Jabhat al-Nusra and the Muslim Brotherhood jihadists of Hamas and those in Syria and the jihadists that won and got Mohammed Morsi to power. Remember, the Muslim Brotherhood of hundreds of millions of followers globally still has as its motto, Jihad is our way, and fighting for the cause of Allah is our goal. And if we die, so be it. A paraphrase of their motto. That that's what they want, is to die. That's a benevolent jihad and the deception and dishonesty 
of liars, dishonest liars like Linda Sarsour. They are dishonest. They can't be dis. They could not be delusional, because Linda knows her mentor. As I said before the break last time, her mentor Siraj Wahaj. What did he do in 1995, and has continued to do in his decades of spiritual guidance to hundreds and thousands upon thousands of Muslims, American Muslims. From the pulpit, he preached, he waved the Qur'an as I stood there in my Navy uniform, went there to participate in, as a medical presentation, but then I said, hey, let me go check out this Islamic Society North America meeting. Looked at their bazaar. I'm going to tell you about one of the tables there in a second that I remember seeing and I talked about in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, published it in 2012. And one of the chapters I talked about why I became so vehemently anti-Islamist, anti-Muslim Brotherhood and realized that the mothership of the Muslim Brotherhood organizations in America, the mothership is the Muslim Student Association and its primary offshoot in the 60s and 70s, the Islamic Society of North America. The organization that controls deed and trust to 30 percent, 40% of mosques in America through the North American Islamic Trust organization, which the FBI in the federal case against the Holy Land Foundation trial for funding Hamas convicted its board members and others in providing aid and solace and funding to a terror organization abroad. Siraj Wahaj, as I listened in that convention, held up the Quran and said, and he went off about President Clinton being a baby killer and being pro-abortion and that we as Muslims not only are pro-life, which... Listen, I, I'm also pro-life, and I believe in the sanctity of human life, and we can get into that topic if you want, but he went on to talk about how this whole society was corrupt. This whole society was deranged and needed to be reformed because they've lost God and they're hedonistic, and then he held up the Quran and said, the problem in this country is that its guiding document is man-made. It's a constitution that was written by men. We need a constitution written by God, and that's what the Qur'an is. Forget that its interpretation is man-made. The script we believe to be Arabic from God's recitation, Qur'an recitation to Muhammad through the angel Gabriel, but its interpretation, make no mistake, is man-made. And the question of the Islamists think Qur'an should be the source of law, and the anti-Islamists, those who believe in freedom and liberty, believe it's just a source of law. But he wanted to replace it. I was horrified by what he said, got lightheaded, sat down as he finished his speech saying that we as Muslims need to work to spread Islam in America and that spread eventually will make this country into a Muslim country that then we democratically can change the constitution and replace it with the Qur'an. Once I gathered my faculties and realized what I had been attending was not just an Islamic society, but it was an, a, a, a manifestation of the Muslim Brotherhood political, theopolitical movement. I went to a microphone. They gave an open session for questions and people to talk about their booths and what they're doing around the, the convention. I said, listen, my name is Zudi Jasser. I don't know why many of you are here. I came to present a medical paper, but thought I'd check out what ISNA is. And what you just listened to, he may have the right, the free speech to talk about. I don't believe he does. I believe it's seditious. But I know as a naval officer, I stand before you in my uniform and I reject this organization and reject any membership. And I recommend that any of you who are in the military or who have sworn an oath 
to protect this government, this country against enemies foreign and domestic, that you reject this organization and reject what Mr. Wahaj just said. And by the way, your organization in 1991, this was in 95 I was speaking, but in 1991 sent me a letter encouraging conscientious objection from the Iraq war. And I believe that that now solidifies that you are an anti-American organization. You have a booth out there that calls us who are serving. I served in Operation Restore Hope. You have a Somali relief fund that has brochures talking, talking about the American military imperializing Somalia. That propaganda is trash. It's fiction. We went there to take food to, to try to help the starvation that was happening that was brought to the attention by CNN globally and our ships with the WASP carrier group. I was on the USS El Paso, went to try to prevent the starvation there and our troops were dragged in the streets instead. We were patriots who went there to help lands that were being savaged by warlords and by inner civil war and conflict. So your organization is a seditious organization by your keynote speakers and anti-American by a lot of what you allowed to happen here and anti-Semitic. And I walked away and asked my captain <laughs> to come with me. And he was horrified too and never went back. There were Muslims that saw me there that then saw me years later that thanked me. But the saddest thing was how silent. Nobody. You could have dropped a pin as I said that. Fast forward 22 years, you can read the rest of the story in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, but fast forward 22 years, and now Linda Sarsour presents herself in her little jihad speech about the benevolence and the peaceful nature of jihad, and she says she's proud to have learned her religion from great mentors like Siraj Wahaj an unindicted co-conspirator in the 93 bombing, a fundraiser, major leader, care board member, and who continues to raise money for Islamist movements and who continues to be, I believe, an ideological enemy of the United States. And anyone like Linda Sarsour who is dumb enough or dishonest enough to relabel to try to fool Americans into believing what jihad is or is not and ignores the fact that it's not just ISIS, it's not just Al-Qaeda who have hijacked our faith. Every leader of the Petro-Islamic establishment who's part of the laundering of what Islam is and is not, the jihad, the jihad of the Islamic states, of the organization of Islamic cooperation, those 56 countries that form that voting block at the UN and has its own organization at the OIC, those 56 countries, their militaries, ask the jurists in Saudi Arabia who claim to be anti-ISIS, when they gather their troops to fight a war in Yemen, or the war against the Assad's, the Assad regime? Are they not calling for a jihad? Do you think like the really moral secular rebels that believe in liberty in Syria? They might be outnumbered, but the bottom line is, is there are those like our families that are fighting for liberty, liberty in Syria. But when the Saudis train their military officers in our military training facilities in the Navy, the Air Force, to fly our jets... Do you think what they're training for is not jihad? It's somehow Saudi nationalism and freedom? No, it's the protection of the grand custodians of the holiest mosque in the world. It's the protection of the Islamic state, the Sharia state, the theocracy of Saudi Arabia. It is a jihad. It is an armed jihad. So there's Saudi Arabia. How about Pakistan's Islamic Republic? They claim to be secular, but yet had blasphemy laws, and they have a Sharia state. What do you think their military, in the protection of the Islamic Republic against India, against any threats in the region? You don't think they're training them in jihad? Is there any hope for the secular judges, other reformists in Bangladesh or elsewhere, 
when the militaries are being trained by Islamic jurists. The Islamic jurists in the Grand Mosque of Mecca, Mecca, who came to give a speech at the Parliament of World Religions and wrote a piece on jihad with Sheikh with the head of Sound Vision, one of the largest publishing centers in America, Sound Vision. Look that up. They wrote a paper on jihad. It talks about military defense of Islam. They call defense, but preemptive strikes can be defense. So no, Linda Sarsour is lying. She knows exactly she doesn't speak against armed jihad. She wants you to believe it's mild and benign. If she spoke against armed jihad and realized that the predominant establishment of Muslim leaders is Islamist definitions of jihad from Pakistan, Saudi Arabia to the Muslim Brotherhood's motto and what they stand for for dying in the way of Allah to American Muslim organizations that might not be openly violent but have not dissociated their benign personal jihad from the global jihad that is to evangelize and do dawah that can sometimes end up in arms that is part of the Islamist establishment. Please find for me one book that is spread and distributed by groups like Sound Vision or Isna that ends and wants to put into the dustbin of history armed jihad. You won't find any. When we come back, I want to talk to you about the Muslim reform movement and what we say about armed jihad and the need to have a jihad against jihad. This is Zudi Jasser. We'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800-600-8192. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another segment of Reform This. And it's always great to be with you. This week we are talking about jihad. Linda Sarsour. The exploitation of Muslims by the left, by partisan politics. And the ignorance, the obfuscation of the reality of global jihad. What I wanted to delve into a little bit in this segment, so many say, well, let's just, why don't they condemn jihad? Well, that would be a good first step, wouldn't it? We're not hearing any condemnations of jihad. All we hear is apologetics. Oh, it's just a struggle. It's just a benign concept. And like I said, I have friends, their first name is jihad. Their parents didn't want to name them holy war. So yes, it is a can be a beautiful concept, but unfortunately it's a minor minority that believe that the establishment of Islam, the Islamic establishment that we need to displace, that we need to defeat, that we need to marginalize, believe that jihad is the defense of the Islamic State. So let's talk about how, what is the business plan? If I had a PowerPoint presentation to present to the West about how to defeat jihad, You've got some in the Ahmadiyya community, for example, that have this true Islam program and they call Jihad of the Pen. And yeah, maybe some of that is good. I've talked about Jihad versus Jihad, or the Jihad against Jihad. And there's no doubt the number one step is for Muslims to end it, to say that we need to completely throw in the dustbin of history any form of violent, of militant form of Jihad. Obviously, the word jihad goes throughout the Qur'an, so saying that jihad is completely done, violent, non-violent, or any type, is impossible. But this will get me back to exactly what I think is the solution, where the Linda Sarsuras of the world, the Islamic societies of North America, Siraj Wahaj, the Cares, 
the Muslim Public Affairs Councils, all the alphabet soup of Islamist Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups, what they want you to believe is that the real jihad is being American, is being peaceful, is being anti-ISIS. Well, the real jihad that Americans should be worried about, just like in the Cold War, we were worried about what the Soviets' mission was, but we never took our eye off the ball, realizing that the inspiration of their ideas was communism, was also the deeper underbelly of communism is socialism, where the government owns all the businesses, your property rights, and human beings have no individual property rights. So in Islamism, the underbelly of that is theocracy. The cohesion of theocracy is a ruling clerical class. The ruling clerical class can only rule if the state has a religious identity. Now, I've had my differences with some in the religious freedom community that say that you can have religious freedom even though there is a state religion. And they will use examples like England and others that have a state religion. I disagree with that, even though, yes, I totally get that the state religions and Western democracies are more historical, metaphorical, and inspirational, but don't affect the everyday machinations and functional individual rights of their society. But I would think in, in retrospect, and I can tell you as a Muslim who's fighting against the establishment in our society, the clerics that now are controlling most, almost every Muslim-majority country of the 56 nations that house the vast, vast majority, probably 80% of the world's 1.6 billion Muslims live in those Muslim-majority countries. And those countries are dominated and what allows them to perpetuate the jihadist mentality is the sense that the state's identity is Islamic. And as long as the state's identity is Islamic, from that will flow the idea that the state's law should be Sharia-based, that Sharia is not only a source, but the source of law, that the Qur'an is not only a source of law, but the source of law, and that the state's security apparatus is protecting not the individual citizen equal under God, but the Muslim governance of God's surrogate or the successor, the caliph of the prophet the successor of the leadership of the Islamic State and its sanctity in the nation-state and its legal apparatus and the instrument of that nation-state, which is Sharia. So, the military protects that. If the military's operational status to protect either defense or offense abroad against threats, domestic and abroad, is about protecting the Islamic State, then it is committing jihad. So, the obligation of a citizen to serve in the military, if you are Muslim in a Muslim-majority country, that obligation to serve, just as I had an obligation to serve in my American military, which I served proudly. And that obligation was born from a belief that every citizen needs to be part of the apparatus that protects the legal system, the rights that are guaranteed to them by their government. And in America, there is no better system, a free system in which every citizen is equal. In an Islamic state, that system, that sense of obligation militarily to your country, if it's an Islamic state, is jihad. You can call it nonviolent civilizational jihad, or you can call it military jihad. So, as an American citizen, when my commander-in-chief, my president, whether it was Clinton when I was 
a naval officer who I had little respect for, but he, I respected the office. Or whether it's President Trump today. Or President Obama. Whoever it is that the people select in an election as our president. That obligation to serve. And if you serve and wear the uniform and then refuse to follow orders or reject or serve the interest foreign is seditious or in war is treason. So, in a military, in a Muslim military, be it the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, of Iran, the Islamic Republic, or in Saudi Arabia, with swords on their flag, that is jihad. So the only way, you can talk about ISIS and Al-Qaeda hijacking jihad, you will never, as a Muslim, any Muslims you know out there, if you're not Muslim, tell them, you will never repair and destroy and defeat violent jihad, which you all need to condemn, but you will never defeat it until the Islamic State concept as an idea is in the dustbin of history. You can't throw jihad by itself into the dustbin of history until you throw the Islamic State into the dustbin of history. It took ISIS to get people to begin to understand this, but there are many, many precursors of ISIS, including the theocratic states of Iran, of Saudi Arabia, particularly with the Wahhabist ideology of ISIS, or the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. Now, the Pakistanis claim to be secular, but their legal apparatus is Sharia, and their republic is called the Islamic Republic. And it's not a republic, it's a fascist military state. The Egyptian military, supposedly moderate, uses Sharia to control free speech, blasphemy laws, apostasy laws, the religious identification even of Baha'is now might be liberalizing a little bit, supposedly under el-Sisi. But the bottom line is it's, it's not based in religious freedom. It is a secular fascist state, but inspired by an understanding of a belief of the Islamic State. So make no mistake, the process, the business plan for the defeat of jihad is the end of the concept of the Islamic State and its association under a caliphate a unification of a caliphate. So regardless of how reformist entities may appear, even our friends who are obviously persecuted as minorities in the Ahmadiyya community, their true Islam movement has a lot of great ideas in it. But without the end of a caliphate, now if they call it a non-political caliphate, I would disagree with that. I think that that's still harmful. Not necessary in Islam, but that might be um, small ideological or theological differences within our faith community, but we must end any ruling caliphate concept of any Islamic identity state, period, full stop. No more Islamic states. That's what the Islamist parties derive their oxygen from. That's what Islamic state legal apparatuses derive their legal system from. And laws should be based in reason, should be based in a secular system that uses different inspirations for the law, where the sources of law can become common law, legal precedence, and some theology, be it the Quran, the Bible, the Old Testament, whatever it may be, the Torah. We use our religious books as a source, but not the source. And the state, therefore, does not have an identity as an Islamic state. And once it does not, when we serve in our militaries, Egyptians, as they reform their society, the Muslim Brotherhood, still has as its motto that they wanted to serve. Jihad is their way, and dying in the cause of Allah was their goal. Jihad was married to violence, but their party, their political apparatus that elected Muhammad Morsi is tied to an Islamic identity. And sure enough, when he became president, people were arrested for disagreeing with Morsi, but were said that they were apostates from Islam because they disagreed with the Islamic president and the since he led the Islamic state. So all of these things are tied together. Blasphemy, when you have an Islamic state, becomes equal to sedition that we discuss here in the United States. So I beg of you, as we have conversations about jihad, tie it to the Islamic state. Every American understands the, the honor and the obligation to serve our military. 
jihad for the militants and the so-called moderates in Jordan or Qatar or wherever they may be. They're not moderate because their militaries serve in an honor to serve not Jordanianism, like our Americanism, but to serve jihad of their families, the royal families and the Islamic state as they understand it. So you will never be able to put lipstick on the pig of jihad. And a state apparatus that forms collective jihad is evil. It can never be moderated. Theocracy can never be moderated. A personal individual jihad can be moderated. That is personal, not the government's purpose. And we can defeat that. And we can survive with every Muslim having their own struggle with them and God unrelated. But I will serve my military in America when my commander-in-chief asks me to. I volunteered, but even if we have a draft, many would ser- everyone would need to serve. In the Islamic State, if you draft people, you're serving, you're telling them they need to do a jihad. That's the draft. You can't defeat the concept of jihad without ending the Islamic State inspiration. And that brings us to the need, as we at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy talk about the need to separate mosque and state and to end Islamism or the idea of the Islamic State. And that's the story on jihad. When we come back, change the tune a little bit and let's talk about the latest twist on honor killings out of Chicago. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to the last segment this week of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. I think you, you get here a position, a perspective from an American Muslim that you just don't get anywhere else. Someone who, I do this because I love my faith. Because I believe that there can be a way to bring into harmony a faith that has inspired me to to do good, to raise my kids in a way that I believe is primarily American and based in honor and morality, but also to begin to reform the ideas, uh, and there are many that are within the Islamic tradition that are just incompatible with Western freedom and liberty. And one of those places that I've spoken out about a lot, and we've discussed here on this program a while back, is this concept of honor violence, honor abuse, honor killings. And the word honor is actually a, 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 a said in a, in a very paradoxical way. These are dishonorable, evil acts that are being done because of the warped sense of honor or dishonor that the parents, that the uncles, the fathers, the brothers, the men, the patriarchs in their families feel that these women bring dishonor, so therefore they are abused, they are punished, they are killed, murdered, run over with their cars, we saw with Nuran Maliki by her Iraqi father in Phoenix in 2008. And now there was Mubashra Uddin, a 19-year-old, a 19-year-old Pakistani Muslim girl lived most of her life in the United States, but who dropped her newborn baby, delivered on her own in her bedroom. She cut the umbilical cord herself, dropped it, threw it to death from the ninth floor on an eighth floor window. Sorry, eighth floor window, not ninth, in uptown Chicago. She didn't want her parents to know she's pregnant. She must have been wearing baggy robes. Who knows how that happened? And at the age of 19, she was charged with first-degree murder in 2015. She pled guilty Thursday, last week, 
a week ago Thursday, to involuntary manslaughter, according to the Cook County State Attorney's Office spokesperson, Tundra Simington. The judge awarded, I say awarded, but she sentenced Udine to 48 months probation for the first degree murder and asked her to pay how much? $579 fine. And she gave her credit for 603 days served in the Cook County Jail until her sentencing had been done now a year and almost two years later. And just to tell you about the crime, on November 11th, the newborn, 2015, the newborn was found in the yard of the building where the family lived by the Chicago police. She dropped the infant after giving birth. Bond bloodied with skull fractures, spinal fractures, was taken to Weiss Memorial Hospital where the baby died 90 minutes later, unable to survive the drop from the eighth floor. At court hearings, Udine's lawyers and friends said she was overwhelmed and distraught by the pressure of raising a baby as an unwed mother in a pious immigrant family, in a pious Muslim conservative immigrant family. The news reports, by the way, didn't say Muslim or conservative. I added that in. Just said pious immigrant, whatever that means. At that moment, she probably wasn't thinking. She was cracked, said the Mubashra. I know who wouldn't have done something like this, said her friend. So, and then you look at the history, typical history for a girl who ends up being pressured into acts that are just inhuman or families that do things that are inhuman because they've dishonored, usually because of either drinking, dating, sexual activity, homosexuality, other things that violate the so-called ethical, moral standings and stature of the tribe, their family. Her baby was 7 pounds, 11 ounces, full term. And she threw it out the window when, as her 10-year-old sister slept in the same room. There was no doubt about guilt. Parents knew she had done it. She came out screaming, telling them that she had done it. Now, two things in this story. First of all, as we see in every one of these honor violence and honor murders and honor killings, which are dishonor, the judges end up feeling pity for the crime perpetrators. The sentences have almost universally been a, a small fraction of what we would give another capital murder for. Another capital violent crime. We had a, a, eighteen year, a 17-year-old girl who was tied down in Arizona here by her parents because she was going out and dating. So they strapped her and kidnapped her in her own house as a teenager and abused her, prevented her from seeing her boyfriend. And the parents were arrested but then let out without even a fraction of what most other people would have gotten for abusing their own soon-to-be adult child. And we see over and over these crimes, the judges will dismiss the role of religion, dismiss the role of culture, dismiss the theological underpinnings where you see this in the countries where they come from, in Jordan, Iraq, Pakistan. The laws of the state turn first-degree murder into manslaughter or, or, or find mechanisms in which there's impunity, in which laws are not adjudicated. While they may have on the books laws against murdering 16-year-old girls for pregnancy out of wedlock for drinking or other things that embarrass the family. I'd ask you to see the documentary Honor Diaries, testimonies of, I think, nine unbelievably courageous Muslim women who gave their stories to humanity to tell you about the crimes of honor, honor violence. Take a look at that. But this story is interesting because not only did this girl end up murdering her baby, she should have gotten, can't believe the, 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 the judge let her out with less than two years and gave her four years probation of $570 or whatever that was for first degree murder. 
So it wasn't her fault. So where's the legal system? Whose fault is that? If you have a culture of oppressive behavior in which the child, the 15-year-old, does something that ends up in murdering another human being, we then should have laws that criminalize what the parents did to that daughter. If you end up having the death of another human being based on it, there should be criminality of those who drive and stimulate and are accomplices in that process. The terrorists in, in Nice or in, or in Berlin, in Paris, in Belgium from 2015 and 16, those who facilitated that act were part of the accomplices. They were also arrested and are being convicted. The families are accomplices, even though this crime, most honor violence would have been done against this 15-year-old girl. And I imagine she was abused. And it wasn't just the abuse by proxy where the daughter, because of the horrific situation likely at home, ended up murdering this baby. But the daughter herself, there should have been a message sent, like every other message sent by the American court system, that this will not be tolerated. But no. She was given almost no sentence with four years probation and no fine. She should have been given five to ten for for even beyond manslaughter. Second, third degree, I don't know, definitely not probation. That needs, those laws need to change. Second, there needs to be an educational process in which all of these crimes, just like there's hate crimes, in which the court goes beyond and the prosecutors go way out of their way to make sure that if there's any hate involved, including the painting of swastikas, the the, the statements of of whether that's clear anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim bigotry, or any hate crime, once it becomes a hate crime, the level of punishment goes up much more. Honor violence needs to start having a label so that it also gets the light of day and is emphasized in the media as being part of Islamic indoctrination. No different than the process of creating laws against FGM, as we've talked about recently in this this broadcast, against female genital mutilation. And we cannot coddle. Look what Canada now recently, the, one of the stories I wanted to talk to you about, I didn't have much time to do that today, was what Canada did with Omar Khadr. Because he was in prison in Guantanamo under American jurisdiction, he goes back to Canada released after 13, 14 years in prison. Now the Canadians settle with him $8 million settlement as he committed acts of terror that killed people. And the Canadians are apologizing to him and his family. And the Islamist organizations are cheering that he is the victim even though it is established that he was committing acts of terror, I believe, in Afghanistan. This has become the, 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 the spine of the free world, is to make the, those who are part of the tip of the iceberg of those who are trying to kill us and destroy our civilizations and who have values that are pre, prehistoric, that abuse and torture women, that prevent free speech, that glorify their rulers, their kings and their, their scholars, that prevent individual equality of men and women and of all people to live under the boots of their military and the boots of their royal families. That's all ignored in the name of fighting anti-Muslim bigotry. Wake up, wake up. You're preventing the voices of Muslim reform. You're preventing, if you look at our Muslim reform movement, we have a declaration that calls and talks about how to end violent jihad, how to end misogyny against women, how to end the political correctness that's preventing the calling out of radical Islamists. Omar Khadr might have been 16, 17. I don't care. It is not Islamic to treat a 15, 16-year-old like a child and say he's a victim, even though he committed acts of terror. Modern, moral Islam would treat him like an adult and have convicted him to 25 to life without a prayer of getting out for a long time.
And this poor girl, Udine, yes, I, I, she is partly a victim. But the poorest is this dead baby. This child that will never know life. That was carried to term, delivered, saw the light of day probably for a few minutes. They said 90 minutes. And then was thrown off the balcony and died because of the culture of oppression. And you see that here as a story that Americans will find to be horrific. Honor killings are done in the millions globally. And yes, often third world countries. But it's because of the empowerment of clerics who do not call for the equality of every individual under God. No, it's under their Islam that things will be better. But no, women are horrifically abused. It's time to wake up to honor killing and honor abuse. Join me in the reform work we need to do. Come come to my website. Talk back. Um, come to my website to takebackislam.com. Takebackislam.com. Join me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, as we fight all of these plagues that need reform and create platforms to get the voices of the voiceless heard. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me week to week. It's great to be back from my uh, one week away last week. And we look forward to talking to you next week on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.